Welcome to the Mass Appeal Podcast, where we break down how to monetize and market apps that appeal to the masses. The Mass Appeal Podcast brings you top players in the mobile app economy to help you stay on top of winning app marketing and monetization trends. I'm your host, Tommy. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. You are tuned in to the first ever episode of the Mass Appeal Podcast brought to you by Head Show. I'm Tommy. I'm your host. I will be your host for, I think, all of these episodes, if not the vast, vast majority, but I'm so excited uh, to launch this podcast. I'm so excited to talk to experts in this industry, to learn from them, to get their background, to learn from their perspectives. And I couldn't think of a much better guest to start this thing off with than the gentleman we have on the line with us today, who is an expert in monetization, expert in data analysis, has an extraordinary track record of working with some of the most influential brands in the world and specifically in Latin America. So without further ado, today's guest is Alex Guerra, who is the Director, Head of Monetization at Boz. Alex, what's going on? Hey, Tommy. No, it's good. I feel honored to be the first guest here. I promise that it's going to be a very meaningful and exciting discussion we're going to have here. So yeah, thanks again for the invitation. I'm so happy to have you. You know, we've known each other for a little bit now. We got to meet up. That must have been in May, right? At MAU, where we had yeah, a great MAU. steak dinner. MAU is a great conference. Did, what did you think of it? Did you like it? Yeah, it was great. I think it was a great opportunity to network, to get to understand different trends in the growth marketing industry and a lot of things, to be honest. It's a really fun time, and I'm looking forward to it this year as well. But Alex, in terms of where you're at right now and where you're based, are you based in Mexico City? I'm right now, yeah, working in Mexico City, still back and forth from the Bay Area, where I used to work for Uber. They're also traveling in Latin America. So I moved here about two years ago, and I'm working in a very interesting topic, which aims to build a super app in Mexico, Central America. I'm working for one of the largest holding groups. But uh, as you mentioned, my focus of expertise has been monetization, pricing, promotions, loyalty programs, and obviously... In this tech world, working side by side with the engineering teams to data science teams, learning a lot about like interesting topics, uh, machine learning, AI, and many applications that further we're going to discuss here. But yeah, that's a little bit of where I come from. And then obviously had the chance to live in France, in the UK, the US, and now in Mexico. So a little bit of taking everything from everywhere. You've lived a lot of places. If you had to choose right now a place to live forever of those places, which one would you choose? Wow, this is a hard one because I, <laughs> I was I was a few days ago in London and I got to get together in a reunion with a few friends. And that reminded me of the time that I would do my master's there. So it was one of the best years of my life, if not the best one so far. So uh, I think, I mean, if you ask me today, maybe I'll come back to London or there, but uh, San Francisco is, is, is it's a good place to, to raise a family and stuff. Uh, becoming more expensive on the downside, but I mean, I think it does, doesn't have a perfect place to be. In, the, in, the, in Mexico, we have great food, uh, great social life. So, I mean, it's a hard one. Alex, the rule was to choose one. The first answer was London. So we're going to go with that as your final answer in this case. But I told, it sounds like you're conflicted, which is a good thing. It means you've loved all the places in their own way. You said you got your master's in London. What was the purpose behind that? So uh, my, I did my bachelor's in industrial engineering. So, I mean, my background comes from engineering itself. And then I wanted to transition into something 
learning more about finance and about like some sort of like MBA, but like with like only one year, not two years. For me, it was like not worth the investment of two years. So I decided to do this program at one of the best universities in Europe, which is UCL. I did my master's there, learned a lot about the finance world, actually, where our campus was in Canary Wharf, one of the financial hubs in, in Europe. So I learned a lot from bankers, from a lot of people, very interesting people. And that helped me to just kind of complement my understanding and my learnings about the revenue management world, which not only starts with like the practice of marketing incentives, but how you make those campaigns to be right positive. How do you work also with data scientist teams and product management teams to make sure that those are the most impactful in different ways to approach growth in a sustainable way. So I think that kind of like changed my career pathways into after finishing my year in London, moving to Uber, and then, you know, like getting back to like a, like a startup mode in a way in which I learned hype, I mean, in a, in a super highly accelerated way into what I came, what I am right now in like leading monetization for another fast growing company in Latin America. So, yeah. So I want to round out kind of where you focus today, and maybe they're the same things, right? Historically, monetization is often looked at within the mobile space, right? As you could call it maybe three things, right? Ad-based monetization, subscription-based monetization, and maybe some sort of partnerships or data monetization. Those are maybe some of the three core buckets, and I'm, I'm probably missing some, frankly, right? But it sounds like on top of maybe overseeing those strategies, you're also looking into, you, I think you would describe it as revenue management in terms of how do you leverage incentives in a profitable way in order to drive engagement with your product. Is that a reasonable summation of some of the places you focus right now? Yes. And actually, I will like complement that saying that monetization relies on how you keep customers engaged, right? If you analyze mm. the sales funnel, the marketing funnel, where you have awareness, consideration until like the loyalty or the bucket of customers, you need to make sure that in order to monetize customers, you need to engage them well, right? In order to engage customers well, there are like three objective functions. You can either increase the attention that customers are paying to your value proposition in case you are, for instance, like an, let's say, like content-related company like Netflix or Hulu or some of those in which you can definitely monetize using ads in a way. You can be a company that is based the customer engagement in terms of productivity like being mostly like software as a service companies like Adobe or many other of these companies that offer different kind of bundles. And then you can get like a different kind of services on a cart or however the package is designed. And then you have another way of engaging customers based on like the transactions that they made. You have a lot of companies that are monetizing based on different take rates or fees. And then you have Airbnb, you have Uber, you have Lyft, you have many, many other ones. So monetization comes from different kind of industries that you can have, but the three main ways of monetizing it comes from your attention, increasing productivity, or monetizing based on transaction fees. So that, that, that's how it works in like super general terms. I like that. Well, and even like you said, right, taking it at the highest general level, monetization is all about engagement, right? How do we engage with our customers, keep them engaged? Because without that, there's no way to actually monetize behaviors, correct? Exactly. You keep them engaged and you capture value from that because you can also 100%. keep them engaged without capturing value from it, right? I love that breakdown. Attention, productivity, transactions. It's really, really cool. And it's actually the first time I've heard that. I want to discuss a little bit though, Boz specifically, right? Because your product and your business is 
unique in, in a lot of perspectives. I think it's specifically quite unique depending on where you live, right? So for example, here in the US, we don't have super apps like what y'all are positioned as, right? They are more common to my knowledge in you know, Southeast Asia, India, China, Latin America, et cetera, right? So what I'm hoping is you could just tell us a little bit about how Boz is structured, what the app functions and looks to do for customers. Yeah, so we call Boz and Supra because it's basically a suite of different services that we have from starting from financial services, you know, like opening a debit account or like a credit account in which we offer customers personal loans. And then we have an, an e-commerce section in which you can basically purchase whatever you want uh, on the marketplace there. Then we have the entertainment section where we have video on demand, we have live TV, and pretty much offering a lot of things uh, from the financial services coming back. They're like offering insurance services and even donations or like charity for, for some specific uh, institutions. So it all comes from like providing a digital solution to an existing holding group with a different brand that can go perceive as a fresh brand that kind of like goes for new customers and existing customers in a different way. But the concept of super apps, as you mentioned, it started in Southeast Asia, China, particularly with WeChat almost 10 years ago, and then spread out to Southeast Asia, Indonesia, and all those countries with Grab and Goyek, mm. and then afterwards to India with a lot of big players there. But I think that what makes this buzz unique is that most of these other companies, they started with a specific core service. In the case of WeChat, they started as a social network company. In the case of Grab, they started as a ride-hailing company. There yeah. are like different ones that they, and then they start expanding into different services. Uber also kind of like believe as a super app, started as a ride-hailing, then like Uber Eats with like food delivery services and grocery delivery services and moving into different ones. But in the US, it's a new concept. It's not like generally established. We have heard a little bit more about super apps with Elon Musk trying to like push this new vision of Twitter or X into this uh, financial banking super app. Uh, but we will see how it goes. The thing is, like, when I was working at Uber back in the days, we did a, a very complex study worldwide into where we identified what was the main motivations of having a super app. So obviously, regulation plays a big role. Like, I mean, like, regulatory uh, concerns of governments not having a lot of power centralized in these specific uh, companies. And, and, and on the other spectrum, we'll have privacy, right? For instance, in Europe, like, people don't like to have one, one single app for, for doing a lot of stuff. But in countries mostly in Asia and Latin America, this is something people don't necessarily care about. And like governments are, I mean, like some years behind. So that's how it, it, all, it all starts a big opportunity. Yeah. It's a huge opportunity, but it, it sounds like when you talk about what makes you different than Grab or any of the other organizations that you mentioned earlier, right? You said they started focusing on a single core competency and expanded from there, right? Uber did the same thing. Uber is a ride-hailing app, and they've expanded now into delivery. They're not a super app, but they've expanded their product lines in a similar way. Is your argument here for Boz that right out of the gate, you offer everything to people, and you are a super app upon conception? Yes, because the way we started was different. We, we actually come from like a value proposition that already existed in the, let's say, physical world. Then we brought this to the digital world. So for instance, in financial services, the bank that is behind us is one of the top five banks in, in Mexico. It's huge, large user base, more than 20 million users. And then on the entertainment section, live TV, sports, and so is the second most watched TV channel. So 
we, let's say, got the, the, the know-how from these different verticals, and then we put this all together into a digital solution. And that's what brings us confidence on like how we go to customers yeah. with good content, you know, with, with a value proposition that makes sense. I think the biggest challenge is how do you do everything in a product management sense at once and like not overwhelming customers. Yeah, yeah it must be incredibly challenging to prioritize the places to focus from your perspective in monetization, right? It's like you are, you mentioned before, right? Attention, productivity, transactions. And at Boz, you're trying to leverage all three types of engagement from a consumer at once, right? And the question for you must be, where do I put my eggs in terms of a basket, in terms of how do I continue to engage with customers in a meaningful way to them across all these different activities they could do in our app, right? So I imagine it presents some challenges for you. Yeah, I think it all relies in like an interesting strategy in which you, it's like a two-axis decision framework in which you have like the frequency which customers go to your app. If they come to your app every day, if they come to your app every week or every month, uh, and then on the other axis, the y-axis, you may have, for instance, like uh, the percentage margin, right? You can have like a specific industry in which, for instance, advertising. You, uh, in advertising, you, you tend to have like huge margins, right? Sometimes more than 50%. That's why Google is what it is or Facebook is what it is with this kind of like service providing that mm -hmm. is creating the network of advertising in a simplified way. But you can also identify industries that are like low margin. Payments is a low margin business, but it creates a lot of frequency. You know, mm. so we also have payments. You can pay your utility services at Bass. You can pay your top up your phone bill accounts, and so so we create we identify those ones that create a lot of uh, uh, repurchase frequency, and then we also identify and prioritize those that create high margins. For instance, like personal loans, more than fifty percent gross margins. You know, use ad just advertising. So that's where we focus on like giving great content, giving great tools at the expense of monetizing those. And this, this is particularly very challenging for companies that are in industries with low margins. If you're in payments, for instance, I was in right hailing also like margins are kind of tied now with a lot of competition. Back in the days, a lot of liquidity in the markets put into different players. But now we feel confident that we are in like in these specific in industries in which there's room for growth and there's a lot of room for monetizing. Tons of room for growth, tons of room for monetizing. It all makes sense, but it still feels to me, a layperson, right? As just so much to have to manage at once. So many different verticals, so many different pricing structures, so many different essentially economies all built in to one thing. On top of that, right? My boss is not a super old company, right? We're talking less than five years old, I believe, right? In terms of the super app. Yep. Yeah. So gaining statistically significant data sets within each of these verticals must also be challenged with a younger company, right? Obviously, your team has grown and you've scaled out the operations considerably. But can you talk to me then through all of this kind of rambling of mine, right, of, of how do you structure your incentive programs across all these different data sets? What are the tools that you use in order to determine how you incentivize consumers through each of these programs in order to drive up engagement or loyalty? Yeah, so that's a good question. So the way that I like to frame this out is in a set of different tools that you have for user acquisition and user retention. I'm going to lean more my answer into what is my focus of expertise, which is economic incentives for customers to like speed up growth or create what it's called like viral marketing. But there's obviously the, the most traditional ones that normally are used by most marketers, which are the 
uh, using performance marketing tools like ASO or social media yeah. optimization or search engine optimization or investing on paid marketing or so, or just CRM efforts with email marketing, content marketing. And so I don't focus a lot on that because I mean, I'm not actually the expert on those. I, I, my team has experts on working on that, but to me, and also based on the, on the knowledge that I apply on the, on the, on the few companies I worked before joining Bass, and what kind of speed ups engagement and also user acquisition and retention is giving a customer something to be rewarded of. And you can graph this or you can map out this in different time zones or different, let's say, two time zones or time engagement zones, which is you want to create short-term retention, mid-term retention, or long-term retention. If you want to create short-term retention, the most common tactics used are referral programs or gift gets in which you kind of like get new customers. It's a great way to acquire customers, not to engage them, but maybe to get into the first transaction, right? Or to make you download the app or make you visit your website for the first time. Those would be the first ones. And then for perhaps giving a, a first offer for the first purchase offer, those ones are what we, what I call like the getaway offers, right? Those create short-term engagement. That helps you in the funnel to make the gap from the consideration phase into the first purchase uh, stage, right? And mm-hmm. then what happens is that you're going to have a lot of customers that are promo seekers. You're going to have a lot of customers that are only like kind of like tempted to experience something new, but not, not sure if they want to change from one company to another one. If you want to really create retention, you need to focus on the other kind of tactics in which the second one that comes to mind is the do X, get Y tactic, or it's called like, like a challenge or like a quest or something in which you not you just not give the, the incentive to the customer straight away, like points or any kind of tokens or credits or cashbacks or just like the money right away. But you ask the customer to do something in advance. You ask them to have two purchases instead of one or the first one that they had. Or you make them to complete a specific challenge during a specific amount of time. Or you play around with some specific gamification tools like creating scarcity or uh, having out like, you know, like com- competition attributes, like this works very well in terms of attribution. Sometimes I would like to resemble or to bring some ideas on how like Duolingo works. I know you have tried Duolingo in the past. Yes. Yep. But du- Duolingo, I mean, th- these guys, they do a great job in terms of creating engagement with points, with badges, with like this competition sense. So the same kind of principles you can bring into what I'm saying right now in Duolingo schedule Y, and then you make your customers to feel more engaged on that. Then I will say, like, let's say between the mid to long-term engagement part, you have subscriptions, a big topic these days. You make customers pay upfront for their service. Most subscriptions that, I mean, at the beginning tend to be hard to monetize, as particularly, and this is something that I normally challenge in the industry, subscriptions are very well designed. If I go back to the three different monetization dimensions that we talk about, like transactions, productivity, and attention, subscriptions work well for productivity, kind mm-hmm. of companies and for attention kind of companies. Yeah. You know, but if you work for a transaction-based engagement, like companies like Uber or like Lyft or or DoorDash or Instacart, or those are particularly based on transaction, it's kind of hard to have a subscription. Most of the people that are going to have a subscription are going to be high-value customers or, high, or power users. But the nature of the other ones, for instance, attention companies that monetize with advertising or with the subscription as a revenue stream, it's more feasible because they have exclusive content or they have exclusive features or they are very well integrated with your systems, like how it works with some software as a service companies. But yeah, it depends. So subscription works, works more for some specific company more than others. I will summarize that way. 
And then on the, at the end of the spectrum, on the long-term retention, we have the loyalty programs or the rewards program in which you accumulate a little bit of everything. And then you play around with different other recognition traits like the status, you know, like changing from one level to another one. You play also with recognition traits and some other stuff. And then you create this ever, you as a customer, you create this sensation and that you're always winning something, right? You're going to redeem it maybe today or maybe in 10 days or maybe in, in two or three months. But that creates like a whole flywheel of engagement for customers, like thinking of how to create engagement from short term to long term. And what I've seen in most, most startups is they, they have these incentives to strategy or this retention based on points or, or cashbacks or credits or whatever that focuses only the short term. And that's mm. dangerous. And when I try to just like convey on, on the different kind of messages that I have on this podcast or, or, or any presentation I have, it's like you need to also focus on how to retain customers in the long term at the very beginning. And that's that's the most challenging part, the most exciting one of them. But that's that to me agreed, right? But you have to you probably run a lot of risk in that, right? Because there's going to be a high percentage of your short-term users who just simply will never be long-term users, right? That's the nature of any product in the world, just about, right? Your product might be an exception in that you'd be hard pressed to find a customer that didn't like some service you offer, right? That's kind of the nature of a super app. That being said. There are customers, I'm sure, that don't stick around in pause, obviously, right? And so all this, again, meandering is to ask you the question of how do you identify those users early on that you do want to put those efforts behind in terms of driving more of those midterm and long-term incentive programs in order to keep them? Does that make sense? No, that makes a lot of sense because it's actually a good way to transition to predictive analytics and predictive marketing. I think... Uh, it's important to say that not all incentives are for all customers because otherwise this will never be a, like a financially uh, feasible yeah. company, you know, like coming from, from a tech company that actually took more than 10 years to be, you know, like a bit positive or, or, or profitable. Uh, it takes time. You have to build AI models, machine learning models that create propensity and ranking models to make sure which customers you're giving the offers in a way in which you reduce the cost of engagement and the cost of acquisition, but you maximize and you optimize for the lifetime value. This is super important because when you start creating these kind of models, you're going to start first learning. You know, you're going to create a model that is going to start learning about what are the features or what are the traits that these customers that are downloading my app or that are visiting my, my website or any solution that I have, what are the, the similarities that they have? You know, and then you're going to start trying out some offers with these customers. And then after you develop this model, you're going to learn uh, what is the propensity for these customers to convert. And best, based on this, you can create some more advanced regression analytics or some specific neural networks models in which you identify these customers more proactively. And then based on that, you're going to have to partner with your finance teams and then say, okay, I only have for this specific week or for this specific month, this amount of money for incentives. And then I need to use it in the best way possible. How can we maximize lifetime value? How we can maximize the return of investment based on this? And then you work with your data science teams, you work with all the teams in charge of building these machine learning models. And then you create these models, you start testing it, you, you, you change it all the time. This is not like a fixed thing that you create one off. But you, you always change it. You add, add more features as competition starts doing new stuff, new value propositions emerge in the market or so. But in the end, is having this discipline of using the incentives budget in the right way to maximize lifetime value at the lowest cost. I think that's the objective function that most data scientists that are listening to us, their focus or they are working to develop or to convince people in their organization 
beyond going to traditional growth approaches that I've seen in other companies, which is like, you know, like giving everything to all people that, as you mentioned, not all going to stay in the company. Mm. The way that you just described it made it sound somewhat easy in some regards, right? Like it's a very cross-functional execution that you have to go through in order to identify the cohorts of users that you want to get in front of, as well as the incentive that you want to provide to them, right? It means that you have to talk to your finance team to ascertain what is my disposable budget for an initiative, go to your data science team, who should we target? What should we target them with, right? What are the, and maybe this is a really dumb question, but I ask it because I don't know much about AI at all, right? And I don't interact with it myself outside of, you know, some meanderings on chat GPT, but what are the inputs required of you in this process? Meaning, what do you have to bring to maybe the data science team in order to get a usable model out from them, if that makes sense? I think the first things to bring to data science teams are the objective function models that we can have. Uh, if we are in the early stages, maybe for the company it makes more sense to have user acquisition, right? So maybe it makes no sense at that point to focus on lifetime value. But mm -hmm. after a few months or after a few years, once you have already identify this product market fit, then you're pretty sure that your product is very well, because this is not something that works without like saying that the product needs to be like very well designed and, and goes to specific uh, customer need or latent needs that they have. But the thing is, it depends on the stage of the company. I will focus obviously more on like companies that are hyper growth or companies that are staying like more trending towards maturity. But when you focus on to those kind of companies, for me, it's like going with these data science teams and say, Okay, this is the way that we're going to work. As you mentioned, we're going to have these specific periodic budgets approved from the finance team. And then we need to make sure that we're going to optimize the cost of acquisition or the cost of engagement to the extent in which if we measure after giving this incentive to this customer the first week or the second week or whatever the program in which you are incentivizing the program is, how is the return of investment of this customer three months after six months after, because that's yeah. what's, what's going to prove that. And then you start yeah. doing experiments, right? And then you focus with your data science team. Okay, we're going to start doing first an A-B testing in which we're going to start testing out this model in which we're going to send the offers randomly. And then after that, we're going to kind of like crunch data and analyze how it goes. We can also do this with historic data and how customers have reacted to offers in the past. But at the end, this is always going to be changing. You always need to be like, targeting randomly as a small amount of customers to learn wow. how they behave. Because like, you know, like trends are always going to change and, and there are going to be new competitors. So the behavior, the, the behavioral trends or behavioral consumption trends from customers are going to change all the time. So you need to keep a small budget to explore. That's what's called the exploration phase. You know, you explore about how customer trends are changing. And then when you create this model, you prove the model works and optimizes for the function that I just mentioned. Then you start using the vast majority of the model into the exploitation mode, which is the specific attributes that we have identified with this regression analysis or with these different predictive analytic tactics. Are there, there are many of them, but mostly focus on which is the propensity for these customers to convert, to get the first purchase, the second purchase, the third purchase. And based on that, you go and segment and target those offers to those customers. So instead of just like randomly saying, I'm just going to try these customers that haven't purchased like in the last two or two weeks. No, obviously I'm going to go after those customers, but I'm going to go only to the customers that have the highest likelihood to keep engaged in the customer with the company for more than a specific period of time, bringing higher lifetime value. 
This is a different approach that some companies don't go that far with the data science teams. Some of them I have seen it. And, the, and to be honest with you, Tommy, the ones that I have seen doing this approach are the ones that are doing financially like discipline and having the best results in terms of profitability for the company. Mm. Can you, and I apologize again, I'm not as uh, adept at this as you. No worries. The piece about the randomized group, right? It sounds like, is that where things begin? Where you bring an offer and incentive and you test it along across a random assortment of people? Or is it a random group who shares some sort of trait? Yeah, this is a random group that are in a specific stage of the journey. You know, because oh, okay. we also need to, okay. yeah, we need to, we need to tie this in a way with a CRM strategy, you know, That's you what obviously I need to, okay. some specific, so for instance, some specific customers that have tried this product, but not that product. Okay. For exactly. those specific customers, we're going to start applying this model. And then this model is going to be the objective function for this specific kind of audience, but it's not going to be for thousands of customers. You know, it's going totally. to be only a specific kind of customers that have the highest propensity to convert. Okay. This totally makes sense to me then. Okay, so you start kind of with a seed audience or a group. You test out a hypothesis against them. If it demonstrates some growth or some positive results with statistical significance, because I imagine there's some data modeling that's related to statistical significance. If it demonstrates that, then you roll it out to that entire population, more or less, that you've identified as being perfect for this potential offer, correct? Exactly, just like that. And something that I will add up is you need to be patient. I mean, I've seen a lot of companies that they decide to drop their efforts after a few weeks because they don't wait enough. I mean, some of these experiments, they need to focus on two, three, or four months. It depends on the nature of the repurchase frequency that your business yeah. has. So it depends on that. You know, if you build a subscription model in which you pay for the subscription every month, so you will need at least six months to test this out, right? Uh, but mm. if you have like payments in which you can have like a, you can pay for everything every week, every day or every so you can test for like a month or two months and you can have like a specific model built to optimize for this. And that becomes like something that can be automated and creates the AI that we are, you know, listening everywhere talking about AI models. But this, it all starts with these kind of propensity models and how we improve them and we make them more automated to take decisions by themselves. It's a really, really cool, beautiful science. Let me ask you this, and it's probably the last question I'll ask you on this subject. Could you share with us, if possible, like an example of an offer that you brought as a result of these efforts that, you've, that worked really, really well for your customers? Sure. So let's say that you, I mean, this is one, one of the examples that I want to, let's say you, you have an, an offer for customers that are about to churn, right? So they had their last purchase like more than 30 days ago, and then you want them back. And what you started doing is for these specific kind of customers, the ones that haven't purchased or they haven't done any kind of order the last 30 days, then you go and target specific model in which you give them like a do X get Y, in which you promise them if you get back and then you go and then you start using our service again, I'm going to give you 10%, 20% off for all your purchases for the next week. Whoa. Right? But that's a promise. That's a promise. You get back with us right now. And then the next week, I'm going to give you, for all the orders that you have, the next week, gonna have, I'm going to give you 20, 25% off. So these kind of do exit white tactics uh, for, for some customers are like kind of like, wow, like shocking because like some of them might already be loyal to another company. But now that I want to create a new habit with you so you don't actually churn because some people actually churn for the wrong reasons. They're obviously the ones that are promise seekers that are always going to be very hard to, you know, like retain because they are very occasional customers sometimes. 
but there are other ones that are already loyal to other companies. So we actually want to bring these customers that have sort of like had like a, a boat of faith with our company. So you give them uh, this triad of using this churn model, you predict which customers are more likely to churn. You have obviously this window in which customers, if they churn more than a specific amount of days, it's not worth it to get them back. But then we try this model and then we selected these customers. We give them this offer that I'm just saying. And it was just impressive how after testing this model, three months after that, we reduced churn from, let's say, 100% that it used to be to about like 50 or 40% less. Wow. That's amazing. So that was great. And, just, and we analyzed those results like in a long-term holdout control group because that's called like the data science world. And then we measured that using this let's say incentives for more than three or four weeks, when you create a new habit with your customers, it helped them to stay with the company for longer time than just give them one incentive for that specific time. One time. Yeah. Right. Because that you avoid the very thing that you discussed at the beginning of this call, right? Which is short-term retention kind of models, right? Which say, exactly. like you said, refer a friend, get $5 today. That's cool for that moment, but it doesn't create that real long-term engagement. And in many cases, in order to get someone engaged with your product, they have to experience it over and over and over again to understand why it adds value to their life, right? And that's what it sounds like your team really focused on in this initiative is maybe those, those users who hadn't necessarily found the value yet or weren't enjoying it as well as they could. And you said, I can give you an enjoyable experience, not for five minutes or a day, but for a week, two weeks, three weeks or whatever. And that made all the difference. Exactly. So you just say that, for instance, you... You're the kind of person that does the, all the grocery shops like online and then you use Instacart or you know, like uh, DoorDash or Amazon, Amazon Fresh. But what actually this model is trying to look for is customers that are not very occasional ones, but customers that are already engaged or are power users with other companies, but I can change their mindset to stay with me, to try yeah. my product. That's what you give them this period of like, I'm going to give you this this benefits because I want to trust you. And these AI models are very good to predict this kind of things. If you implement it well and you give them this the specific amount of training that, that the model needs to identify these customers and to go after them. That's the best way to do this kind of incentive tactics. It's really cool. I mean, Alex, I really have to give you and your team so much credit. It's one of the most, in my opinion, comprehensive strategies as it's related to customer retention and leveraging AI in conjunction with customer retention I've ever come across and you articulate it beautifully. So I, I really appreciate it. Last question, and then I'm going to let you go. What's got you stoked and excited about this year at Boz? What are you looking forward to? Oh, this year was very challenging and exciting because we transitioned from focused a lot of our efforts and strategy from payments now to credit, which is another line of business, very profitable. As I mentioned earlier, like, you know, payments, you have low margins, but you have higher frequency, right? Mm -hmm. And then we moved more into like a, a personal loans, which is a huge business in which has also like high profits. Uh, and also, I'm also learning a lot from that. I mean, as, as I mentioned, I don't come from the finance and banking industry, but I'm learning a lot. I'm learning also from the best talent that I've met from the bank in which we are supporting our services from. So I think that's very challenging. And for next year, I think it's going to be also super challenging with this new idea of bringing new services and something that we're working uh, uh, with other uh, providers of uh, these gamified experiences in terms of like exploring more into the entertainment section, you know, because mm. we definitely, as we, with payments, we get more customers and then with loans, more customers, we're going to have more customers on our platform. And then obviously give them the entertainment services. We also can monetize that with ads 
and also with games and many things that we already have on the app and that we want to definitely, as we grow our user base, we definitely want to monetize in the three different ways that we just talked at the beginning, right? It's awesome. It's really, really cool. The three different ways, hold on, let's see if I remember them off the top of my head. Attention, productivity, and transactions. Transactions, yes, spot on. See, I learned something. I learned a lot, nice. actually, Alex. This was an absolute pleasure. For all of our guests listening to today's episode, today's guest is none other than Alex Guerra, who is the Director Head of Monetization for Boz, one of the fastest growing and most impressive super apps in the world and right now in Latin America. Alex, thanks so much. We really, really appreciate you joining, and it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Sami. The pleasure has been mine. Till next time. See you, man. Thank you for tuning into the Mass Appeal Podcast brought to you by Adjo. You can see all our great episodes by visiting Adjo. That's A-D-J-O-E dot I-O slash blog. Or even better, subscribe and never miss an episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes so more people can learn these awesome app marketing insights. See you next time.